Thank you. Some people's concept of justice is maybe maybe twisted or distorted, but we but inherently it seems that we all have a, a concept of of justice. And what happens when justice is not done? We get mad. We're outraged, depending upon the, the, the severity of the injustice. We, we, it's, it, 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 is, it is something that is inherently inside us, this need for justice. And then as Christians, we, we struggle with it because then we have grace. You know, when, when, do we, when do we act in justice and we have the grace? But, but part of us screams out for justice. And I know that that creates a tension from the standpoint of loving my neighbor and wanting, wanting the unsaved to come to know Christ. But at the same time, there, there is something that God has put within us, it seems, about justice. And I'm sure that the church in Thessalonica at times probably echoed the words of these martyred saints recorded in Revelation 6. Is how long... Do we have to put up with this? How long will this persecution go on and there be no justice? This text answers that question. Uh, I want you to notice, first of all, what they were doing, what the church in Thessalonica was doing. Look with me again at verse 3. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love each one of you has toward one another grows ever greater. Now, I want you to notice, who does he thank and who does he not thank? Who does he thank? God, not them. He doesn't say, you know, I, I'm so, so thankful for you, Dave, that, man, brother, you, your faith is, in, is being enlarged and your love is growing. No, he says, I thank God that your faith and love is growing. So that tells us what? That really... It is God the one that is working in us. And yet he doesn't say, so on the one hand he says, I thank God for your faith and your love. But he doesn't say, I thank God for his faith and his love. But what does he say? I thank God for your faith and your love. So this is what we call compatibilism. That, that God is sovereign. That even our faith is a result and a gift from God. Even our love is a gift and a result of God's sovereignty in our lives. And yet at the same time, we are responsible to exercise faith and exercise love to the extent that he says it's ours. And that's hard, isn't it, to flesh that out. Philippians 2.12 is the one. God is wor- you work out what God is working in. So he thanks them for their faith and their love. In fact, if you remember back in 1 Thessalonians, this is one of the things he prayed about for them. He says, I pray that your faith will grow. I pray that your love will grow. And in fact, we read in 2 Thessalonians, which was written probably approximately six months later, very soon after the first letter, probably when Timothy and Silas came back to Paul and, and related to him how well they were doing, he probably sent a letter back to them almost immediately. And he says, I want to thank God for you. For your faith that is greatly enlarged and the love each one of you have toward one another is growing. Which tells me that our faith grows and our love grows. Our love should grow. Our love for one another should grow. Just like in a marriage. Love should always be growing. Now, it, it changes. I mean, I, I, love my, I feel like I love Vicki more today than I did when we got married. But it has changed. It's, I think it's a... 
It's a more mature love. But I, but I, I, I believe I love her even more now than I did before. And I think that that's the sense of it, that as biblical community, we should grow in our love for one another. And we should grow in our faith and in, 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 in what we trust God with in our lives. So he says, first of all, what they were doing well was their faith and their love. Look at verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among all the churches of God for two things, your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you are, and I would say, currently enduring. Their perseverance and their faith. um, The God... The God who could prevent something from happening, the God who can prevent things from happening, the the, the God who can uh, intervene and keep things from happening to us, who, by the way, I believe does all the time, and we're just not aware of it because it didn't happen, is also the God that at times allows certain things to come into our lives. And yet when he does, gives us the strength to persevere in it. So the God who could prevent it is the very God who, when he does allow it, when he does ordain it in our lives, is the God that grants us perseverance. And then that's exactly what's going on in Thessalonica. Do you think that in a, in a heartbeat God could have stopped the persecution? Yes. We're going to look at that in a minute. But instead, he said, I want you to persevere. I want you to have faith. Um, our banner in the background. It didn't end in Rome. Christians still die. Uh, the, the persecuted church. I, I often ask myself, God, why do you allow, why do you allow your people to endure such atrocities? And and I, um, my Vicky's been going through a, a church history course. Um, the, the teacher is it's uh, it's on YouTube. His, his name's Bruce Gore. It's been fascinating. Um, and I've been reminded that that. Persecution has been the legacy of the church from the very beginning. It started with the Jews. By the way, it was Jews against Jews because who was the early, who were the first converts to the church? Jews. It was Jew on Jew crime, right? Who, who, the, the first, the first hundred years, well, within the first hundred years of the church, who were the most intensive persecutors of the church? The Jewish leaders. Now, Rome was involved, but it was instigated by the Jewish leaders. We just went through the book of Acts. We saw that. And after that, Rome took over. The the Jewish leaders handed the baton off to Rome, and for nearly 200 years, especially under Nero, who was called the beast. You need to read about Nero in the unspeakable things he did to Christians. The perverted, gross things I couldn't even share with you publicly. You know, Fourth of July we have those called Roman candles, right? You ever done that? Light, lit a Roman candle. I'm going to encourage you if you do, never light a Roman candle again. Do you know where we get the name Roman candles? When Nero would throw his his drunken orgies, he would he would tie Christians to to poles and light them on fire as the lights for his parties. And they were called Roman, they called them Roman candles. That, those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. How long, O oh Lord? 
Why do we? In fact, Nero was called the beast. Even Romans hated Nero. We have the Arians. Later on, we have Roman Catholicism, the Counter-Reformation. And even to this day, Muslims, ah, this, 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 this religion of peace, you need to read about what they did when, when they went into Asia Minor and, and when they finally conquered Constantinople. They dug, they dug tunnels uh, under the walls of Constantinople. You know, they, they took Christians that they had taken captive to take the, the, uh, the explosives into these tunnels and then they would, they, would, they would explode them with the Christians in the tunnels to destroy the walls. Even to this day, Muslims are killing Christians. It's our legacy. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. How long, O oh Lord? He says, I'm, I'm grateful for your, your perseverance and your faith in the midst of, of the afflictions and the persecutions that you are enduring. In verse 5, he said, this is implied what I've just said is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Now, this is a difficult statement to understand. How, in what way is what... Was he referring to their persecution and afflictions, which is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment? Or was he, is he referring to their, their perseverance and their faith? is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. Well, it probably makes most sense in terms of um, the fact of their persecutions and their afflictions. He's saying this is a, a plain or a good indication of God's righteous judgment. Now, the question was, was it a judgment against them? Some commentators believe that it was, it was in fact, God-ordained affliction in their lives to purify them. And when it did, it was a... It was a, it was a indicator of their true faith. This we see this in other parts of Scripture. James 1, for instance. So maybe that's what Paul is, is saying. He's saying that this, this endurance and faith that you're exhibiting and displaying is, is, is revealing your true nature and that you are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Not that they earned it because of their persecution, but their persecution and, and how they were in their Perseverance in their persecution was a good indication of the fact that they were truly saved. Or, he could be saying, what you are enduring is a justification for what I'm about to do. In other words, what you are suffering is, is an indication and is a, will be a sign that what I do, what I'm about to do is righteous. I tend to lean that direction. But God is saying, in fact, this is going to be a good indication that when I bring my judgment, I am absolutely, completely righteous and just to do so because of what you are enduring. And that leads us into verse 6, which is we move now out of what they were doing to what God's going to do. And this is an aspect of God's nature that oftentimes is neglected in the church, and that is the justice of God. Is God, God, is God love? Absolutely. God is love. He is merciful. He's kind. He's, he's gracious. But never at the expense of 
His justice. In our home group, remember, we we just went through the attributes of God. God, whenever He he manifests or, or exhibits certain aspects of His nature and His character, it's never at the expense of the other attributes of His character. Verse 6, for after all, and here's the four, which again leads me to believe that, that verses 6 through 10 really is just explaining verse 5, which is now 6 through 10, I have a basis for my justice, and this is it. It is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven and with his mighty angels in a flaming fire. Now, we need to unpack this a little bit. Uh, this is, now we're in the deep end of the pool. Okay? Um, he says, God's going to do two things for who? What's the text say? For you. Now, who's the you? Is the you you? No. Now, be careful. Don't jump. This is what I think people do far too often. You, people jump to application too quickly. There, there's an application of this text for us. But who's the you? Is the you you or me? No. Who's the you? The Thessalonians. The, the Thessalonians. The you is the Thessalonians. He's saying, I will come to do what? To repay with affliction those who afflict you. He's speaking to them. Remember, the Bible was written to them, but is written for us. And we can't jump immediately to what does the Bible mean to me? It is what did it mean then, and in light of that, how does it apply to me? Does that make sense? Okay. To do what? Give relief to you who are suffering. You're going to do two things. To repay those who are afflicting you and to give to relief to you who are being afflicted. Now, when is that going to happen? When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, let's stop there. What, are, what is this describing? In my thinking, there's three options. One is what would be called a pre-tribulational rapture. Because it says what? It says, when, what? When the Lord Jesus will be revealed. So one option is, is he talking about what's called the pre-tribulational rapture, that Jesus raptures the church off, you know, and then it starts a seven, literal seven-year period. Um, is this the rapture? Is he talking about the whenness of this, when the Lord Jesus is revealed? Is this revealing the rapture? That's one option. The second option is what? What might this be indicating? The second coming which most people, I think, probably interpret this as. It sounds like it, right? Um, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That sounds like the second coming. So that's the second option. First option is a pre-tribulational rapture. 
Second option is the second coming, what we call the second advent or the second coming. Any other options? He says, I will repay them and give relief to you. A third option would be some kind of coming, some kind of presence. This word parousia can either be translated as coming or his presence. Um, This is a little different word. This is what we get the word revealing, apocalypsis. We get the word revelation. A third option would be that that God in some, or Jesus would in some way bring relief to them while they were still living and bring judgment and justice to those who were oppressing them and afflicting them. Any other options? Pre-tribulation rapture, the second coming, or some kind of contemporary presence of Christ that would in fact relieve them of the persecution and judge those who are, who are afflicting them. What's the, what's the problem with the first option, pre-tribulational rapture? Yeah, the, the, the pre-tribulation rapture is typically taught as the church is just invisibly and immediately and silently caught up. There's no judgment, no justice, none of that. Okay? So this... This doesn't fit with other texts that hold, hold those who those of you that, that think of in terms of the rapture. That when the rapture is, is, just a, is just a removal of the church, there's no justice, there's no judgment, there's judgment here. What's the problem with the option of second coming? Do you see any? Maybe you don't. What would be, what would be a, a, a problem? Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't adopt one of these. I'm just saying that they all maybe have problems. Uh, with the second coming, what, what might be a problem if this is talking about the second coming? What's that? The Thessalonians have already died. It would be like saying um, someone who's suffering, I, I, I'm going to bring relief to you. And I'm going to relieve you and repay those. Um, but it won't be until you're dead. That's an option. That's an option. The, the, the other thing is it just seems odd to me that he would describe the second coming as being a unique act of relief to those who are being, uh, the, the, those who are enduring persecution because, in fact, all of us are going to experience relief. The biggest problem, though, is this. Has Jesus come again in terms of second coming? No. So according to the text, have they received their relief yet? Not if we hold, if this is the second coming, and he says, that's when you will receive relief, and the second coming hasn't occurred yet, then have they not received their relief? Is he following me on that? The third option is, well, maybe God did something in their day where he achieved two things. He repaid those who were afflicting them and brought relief to them who were being persecuted and afflicted. And I know the response is, well, I, don't, I haven't read anything in history about that happening. And, and, and the problem with that would be, well, how do you explain language like uh, his mighty angels in flaming fire? So that would be a problem with that view. 
Assuming, of course, that that means literally angels appeared and flames of fire appeared. You would have to assume that, that, that that's what the text is saying. That, that these, these heavenly beings could be seen and, and there was heavenly fire. So all three views admittedly have problems. I tend to opt for the third. The first two just have too much to, to overcome. I, I think that in some way, God fulfilled his promise to them, to the church in Thessalonica. Whether Josephus recorded it, whether Irenaeus recorded it, whether Tacitus recorded it, whether there's any proof in history that anything like this happened, I have to by faith believe, I'm believing by faith, that somehow God fulfilled his promise to them then. And they didn't have to wait till they were dead. And they didn't have to wait for the second coming. Proverbs talks about hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. And we have to follow in Abraham's footsteps and say, we're going to believe God's word by faith. And I don't need external verification. Now, does that mean that if I, if I believe this is the second coming, that this is, you know, we can't fellowship together, or you can't be a member of our church, and, you know, you, you can't come to home group? No, not a bit. Those are the options. I'm explaining to you why I believe the third one is most, uh, for me, seems to be the most viable. Number one, it, it fits with the, what the text actually says. He was going to bring relief to them. N- number two is I can hold that by faith without having any kind of external evidence. Now, I suppose you could say, well, I, I can hold the other two by faith too. This is difficult. If you're to really read the text and, and try to understand when did this, how did this happen? When did this happen? And then he says, verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. That's his answer to, Lord, what are you going to do about those people who are persecuting your saints? And he says, oh, I will do something about it. In fact, I will do something to the first church. I will do something in time. I will, I will remedy the situation in time, but there will be a future time where it will be eternal destruction. Verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints, and on that day, on that day when he deals out the ultimate eternal destruction, not necessarily the day that he comes to be revealed, and to be marveled at among all who believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of his calling. Worthy of your calling does not mean that you live a life so good that he goes, man, I'm glad to have Sam on my team. Man, he's, he's living really good. No. That we, how are we found worthy of his calling? By Christ and his merits alone. That's how we, He's saying, I hope and pray that at the end you appeal to and find yourself appealing to Christ and his righteousness and not your own. That that is why we're worthy of his calling, not because of what we've done. Worthy of his calling. And he goes on to say, and fulfill, that he would fulfill every desire for goodness and work of faith with power. He, he said, listen, anything, all those things that, that you desire to do and to be in Christ, I pray that he will make that happen. 
every desire for goodness, every work of faith, all of the desires to be all that God wants me to be, I pray that God will make that happen in your life. But you've got to want it. Most of you know I played football. It's hard, hard to believe now. Um, and, and this was, this was well, Pat and I played together. Remember that, Pat? Uh, University of New Mexico. We had a coach named Bill Mont. This is Bill Mont's standard speech for a game. Gentlemen, you got to want it. you got to want it. you got to want it more than they want it. That got so tired every single week. And, and that, that, that's part of it, I think. you got to want it. Our desire for goodness. Do you, do you have a desire for goodness? Do you have a desire for faith? To grow in goodness, to grow in faith. And, and, and when we do, God will fulfill that. He will make that happen. So he says to this suffering church, my view, the view I hold to, he's saying, listen, you hang in there um, because in a, short, in a short time, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you relief. You have to die first. Because with the second coming, they still haven't gotten their relief yet because he hadn't come yet. Somehow, in some way, God fulfilled his promise. How he did that, I take by faith. But he did. How many of you remember uh, after 9-11, and, and I, this is not an endorsement of George W. Bush. Okay, so don't email me. Um, how many of you remember after 9-11, George W. Bush... Uh, standing on that on the rubble, and he had his arm around. I, I take it to be like the probably the fire chief, and he had the bullhorn. Remember that? Do you remember what he said? Oh, of course you don't. At the end of what he said, he said this. He was talking, and I, I think what someone said is, uh, "Do you can you hear us, or I hear you?" And he says this, "I hear you," and, and the and, and, it, and the place erupted. And he said, well, here, I wrote it down. Thank goodness for YouTube. Uh, yeah, he, he said, I hear you. He said, the rest of the world hears you. And very soon, those who knock this building down will hear you. And I thought, that, that's kind of what God is saying. He's saying, Real soon, someday, these people who have been persecuting you, they'll hear from me. They'll hear from me. And you'll be relieved. And they will be destroyed. Now, that's the interpretation. The application is what? Has he come again? No. So what's the application when we say, how long, O Lord? He too, just like the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, says to us, I will come, and when I come, I will give you eternal rest and eternal relief, and I will give those who afflict you eternal destruction. So when you listen to the news, and when you listen to states who make laws, intentionally make laws celebrating abortion, and celebrating perversion, and celebrating all those things that are unholy and ungodly, 
there will come a time when God will come and repay them for their evil and their wickedness. Now, somehow we have to still have grace and mercy and share the gospel with them and all that. I, I haven't worked all that out yet. But, but isn't, it, isn't there a sense of, of justice and satisfaction knowing that just as God did that for the church in Thessalonica, that one day he will universally bring justice to all of the evil and all the wickedness and all of the persecution and all of the affliction that this world is meeting out on his people. Verse 6, God is just. And the old saying is the, the wheels of God's justice grow slowly, grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. No one escapes. He's saying, I'm a God of justice, and I will, I will execute justice in this world. And that's why I believe the second, the second coming is, in fact, when he will do that. Just like he did for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your justice. How many of us have become angered when we see human judges that are unjust and let, and let offenses, people who commit offenses go free with, with no penalty, with no retribution? It offends our sense of justice. And, and Father, when I look at what your people, our, my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, are, are enduring and persevering because of the kingdom of God, by virtue of being members of the kingdom of God, not because they've murdered somebody, not because they've stolen anything, not because they have incited insurrection, but solely because they are, they are members of the kingdom of God. By, by solely on the basis of the fact that they follow Jesus Christ, they are being persecuted and tortured and, and killed and martyred. And Father, we cry out for justice. We cry out for justice in this life, but if in your sovereignty and your providence you choose to wait until your second coming, we in fact know without a shadow of a doubt that that will be universal justice and will be permanent justice. So, Father, we thank you along with this church when they heard these words, the relief they must have felt to know that you in fact were to come and you were to grant them relief and you are to repay those who are, who are persecuting them. We too, we need to remember that someday this world will hear from you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands?